It's Wednesday, August 28th, and this is Rev Thoughts, snackable conversations between Tim Thompson and myself, Joel Pilger. Our topic today is the false dichotomy. Joel, let's kind of start this Rev Thoughts with uh, something you and I have been talking about for the really the past few weeks, but is an inspiration to me really over the last couple of years with the thoughts of the four stages of a creative career. Uh, and that is this, let's call it like battle between the thought of running a successful creative business and living your you know, best life. So successful business owner versus your best life. And the, the stretch and pull that has on, on a business owner's lifestyle. Um, but so, uh, you know, 20 years, you've run a business straight for 20 years in the seat of many of our clients. You know, what are your thoughts on, uh, and maybe even t- share with us some of the, uh, the hardships in doing that. Well, I, I mean, it's certainly a very real challenge, I think, that every business owner is struggling with, but they may not be consciously struggling with it. Because here's what I think about, Tim, and I'm thinking about, like, there's actually several faces running through my brain right now when I think of some of our clients that really honestly believe in order for me to su- be successful in business, which is a thrill and it's, ju- it's exciting and full of joy, yeah. uh, but I have to very often make choices uh, that I don't live the personal life that I desire. And there's these trade-offs and I know I was stuck in that mode for many, many years when I was running my business. I got some great coaching and some training that I think helped me learn some ways to escape that. But I think I, I read this term recently called false dichotomy. Okay. And, and what a false dichotomy is here, I'm going to actually read it. Sure. So a, di- a dichotomy is a set of two mutually exclusive or jointly exhaustive alternatives, right? So you're a leader in business okay. or you're going to live your best life, but you sure. can't have both, right? So that's a dichotomy. That's a dichotomy. And a false dichotomy is where you're presented with two options that appear mutually exclusive, but they're actually not. So you could possibly do both. You could possibly do both. But if you tell yourself that this dichotomy exists as a, as a coping mechanism, perhaps, because your business demands it, and in the short term, it seems very, very true, I guess my theory is, and maybe more than a theory, is that over the long term, I don't think there's a dichotomy. In the short term, there is, but in the long term, there's not. And that's why when you first started creating this theory of the four four stages, I got really excited because I realized, aha, Tim's putting a framework around this long, long journey that that is hopefully decades for those of us that have run creative firms. And once you realize there's more out there beyond your business, there's this thing called a career, and then beyond your career, there's your life. Uh, I think opening up to those possibilities creates some really exciting, it creates some exciting opportunities for how you can navigate this, this time we have on earth. So some of the term I use is lying to ourselves. You believe that there is a possibility of a better life or that there's supposed to be something different than the life you're living now, or you're stuck in this life and you can't do something different, right? Those are all possible lies that we tell ourselves. 
when navigating through a lifetime of doing anything. Um, can, I, I mean, can, I give, can I give you a reference point for people yeah, sure. that are like, oh, I don't lie to myself. Here, here's a little buzz. We all lie to ourselves. <laughs> yeah, here's, but here's a buzz phrase that you and I hear a lot, and, and it's often an indi indicator, is have you ever heard yourself say, oh, my clients won't let me? Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. That's a perfect one. Yeah. Right. That's like the, one of the most go-to things where we're telling ourselves something uh, because it, it's, it's more comfortable to stay in that belief pattern and cope with that belief system than it is to actually face it, change it, overcome it. Um, but I think that's a good example of anyone that says, oh, I don't lie to myself. I mean, that would be ridiculous. Sure. Uh, but but that's, a, that's a good example, one that we hear quite often. Yeah, I'm, the, the more I'm, st I'm studying and trying to figure out how to coach people through this, these, this stage process, some of it you have to kind of let go of pattern. And it's really, really, really hard. It's part of the human existence, the human mind, to want to find a pattern and stick with that pattern in order to survive, in order to conserve energy, in order to mature in certain ways. And the older we get, the more set in our way we become. It's more than just a stereotype. It's a reality to how our human um, biological mechanism works in order to grow and to mature and understand things is that it understands a pattern and, and wants to absorb that pattern and work alongside of it. So this lie, one of these ideas of lying is kind of thinking that nothing can change because you've always done it a certain way or it feels like the permission that would be granted in order to try something different from a client in, in your case is just a, a not, not a possibility. And then it's always so curious how, how a younger person coming straight out of college could overwhelm the system because they don't have those rules and regulations they put on themselves and then they could just lean in and, and kill it for a little while. So the thought process of living a better life, you almost wonder if we're stuck in a pattern and we haven't given ourselves permission to grow outside of it. We haven't recognized um, the pattern we needed to, to really move ourselves beyond the, the pattern we're stuck in. Um, so that, that lie to me, you know, um, is one that I often want to, I use the term lie so that we're critical on some of these thoughts and knowing that that's just a lie and you could do something different. But I recognize that there's some part of it. So let's, um, let's dive into one and tell me how you coped with this when you were kind of running your business. So the first one would be that... Um, let's stick with, the, I'll, I'll contradict this later, but I want to stick with this one at first is the life I'm living as a business owner is the best life possible. So we might say something like, I'll do this until I die. I always wanted to do this. I'm a workaholic, but I love it. I don't know what those, all those great things that people say are. I think as time plays itself out, you might find that you don't want to do this, but let's go with that one first. Um, Okay. Is, it, is okay. it a possibility or, or is it okay to say that to yourself? I'm actually just fine. This life I'm living as a business owner satisfies and fulfills me. So it's okay. Well, I mean, I would say it's totally okay to say that to yourself if it's true. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> right? Yeah. The question is, how do you know whether or not it's true? And it's funny. I, I mean, I swear it's like you, you're, there's an echo in here because I think when I was in New York the week before last, I had a meal with two different owners who said that exact same thing. Like yeah. I work all the time, but I love it. This is what I love doing. I'm going to do this until the day I die basically. And, and I don't, I don't by default, I don't disagree with that's, 
necessarily wrong or, or untrue. I think the question that I would simply ask is, have you ever stepped back and taken a much larger perspective and asked the question, what happens the day that I wake up and my feet hit the floor and I actually don't care about doing this anymore? I actually don't love this anymore. What's going to be there for me? And what's next? And do I have anything that I can leverage or convert to create can you continue creating a bigger future for myself and the people that I love? And if you've never asked those questions, then I would say, be careful. Yeah. By now I went through that myself. The day I woke up and realized I really don't, I could not care less about launching the, another stupid show on Discovery Channel. <laughs> right. Okay, which, which is- Our Another network design is not what your uh, life goal is anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I always thought, I'm going to do this till the day I die, and I love it. And that's great. But what happens when one day you wake up and you realize that you don't love it? Because I will say, you know this, Tim, that when you cross these thresholds, maybe you've been in business 10 years or 20 years, or when you've become 40 years old, or you turn 50, um, that you're an evolving, changing creature. Yeah. And your desires and your abilities and all these things are evolving and just Think about that and ask yourself that question. What, what if I wake up one day and I don't care about this anymore? Yeah, I'll piggyback on that with my advice, which is feel free to accept that as a reality that today or the way you're, um, the lifestyle you're living as a business owner does satisfy all your life calling, all your life wishes in the moment. But I, my advice is, but also give yourself permission to change your mind. Um, and don't say anything so bold or so crazy that you feel like you have to stick with that even if you feel pulled to do something else. Um, and I'd say um, overall, the biggest change that people go through where, um, where they change their mind is probably parenthood. The minute yeah. they meet somebody and have a kid, um, I definitely give you permission to change your mind. Life priorities can change in an instant and you need to know that those priorities are greater, are better, and feel free to, to start making changes to, to cope with that. Yeah, I, I love that, that simple idea you just expressed of, I give you permission to change your mind, you know, to change what you're passionate about, change what you love, change what is, you feel like you should or ought uh, to do with your, your time and energy. I, I remember for me, Tim, this uh, exercise I went through when I was having, having some entrepreneurial coaching uh, season in my life. And I went through this one exercise where they asked the question, Joel, how old are you going to be the day that you die? Because everybody has a number. And at the time, I think my answer was 70, which is crazy. Yeah. But How does that um, feel? It's like five yeah. years from now, right? No, just... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. But, but then they asked this question, well, what if, you, what if you were living your best life, say, at age 69? What would that look like? And they, we walked through this. Like, what would your health be like and your relationships? And what's your business like? And how are you with money? And your, your spiritual and all these other dimensions. And once I wrote all that down and I got clear about it, that if I was living my best life, they said, well, are you going to really die a year later if this is all yeah, true? Right. And I said, well, heck no, I'm not going to die. And they said, how long are you going to live now? And I said, I could probably live to be a hundred. Then they asked the big question that just completely scrambled my eggs. And still to this day, I get like goosebumps and I get emotional when I tell the story because then they asked me the question, all right, if you're going to live to be 100 now, what are you going to do with those extra years? 
And I was like, whoa, well, I would, you know, I might travel to the moon and I might create te- classes and teach people around the world. And I would accomplish all these amazing things. I might get back into art and cinematography. And then they said, well, that's who you really are. So why don't we start creating that future now rather wow. than grade 70. And that was so life-changing for me yes. still to this day. It's impacted some of the tiniest things. Like the fact that I have excellent dental hygiene. <laughs> yes. It literally is because I said, if I'm gonna live to be 100, I need my teeth. So I have to like brush several times a day. I have to floss. I have to get my wisdom teeth taken out. I mean, so the reason I tell that whole story is in terms of what do people do with this idea of get out of this short term uh, trap of, well, I just love it, even though I'm a workaholic and I'll do it to the day I die, is if you can get that larger perspective and really get a sense of what's my life going to mean and where is it all going, it is possible for that to reverse engineer into really practical things like today, I'm calling the dentist to get my wisdom teeth removed. Yeah, right. Okay, there right. actually is a total practical application to this stuff. Yeah. And then your business becomes a means to an end. You don't, you know, you don't serve your business, you don't work for your business, it starts to work for you. And that's, I think that's exciting. Yeah, converting your experience into an asset that can be leveraged to move forward. Converting your experience into an asset that you can pass on to others. You can encourage others with the idea of giving something away faster than you're taking it in just to see what could possibly come of it. Because all of that is momentum you need in order to move forward with the career. If, if it's just you in a solo bubble, sure, you could take all you want to. You can um, spend every penny you have. But the minute you start thinking of others and growing beyond yourself, um, there's just something that happens in I want to use the term wealth, but wealth can be associated too much with money. But I kind of just mean like common wealth, like the idea of, of uh, people and growth and legacy, um, encouragement. Sure, money is a byproduct of that. Client relationships, projects you can take on. All of those are capabilities when you kind of let go of your, yourself in the center. And I, I love that. I think that's Dan Sullivan, right? That was uh, the, the yeah. group that did that. Um, you've recalled that many times at our conferences and I I can read it on your face when you get to the moment where that big question was asked, because it's such an aha moment. And I'll bet at the same moment, some weight is lifted because there's a new opportunities and expansion of thought and another burden is added, added on like, holy cow, I have to, I have to do something about this. Um, So I love, I love that. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. our saying is the best way to deal with the future is to create it. And we mean be proactive and responsible and thoughtful of the future you're going to live and then begin doing that today. That's some of what um, creating your future is all about. So um, well, when I think about your, the stages that you're so uh, passionate about helping the world understand is this idea that when you're in that uh, artist stage, you enter the auteur stage there is a certain, you start to see further into the future and so you're not just consumed with, uh, or as you say, addicted to cash. Um, and as you move through those seasons, uh, would you say that you, your horizon starts to push out? Because oh. when you start to enter the curator's stage and certainly the collector stage, you're not 
thinking about how am I going to make payroll in two weeks? Hopefully you're not even thinking about how am I going to even be in business by, you know, next quarter, um, that you have more options, more influence because you've, you've given back, you've built community, you've created, I love that word you just used, commonwealth. Yeah. Okay. So let me switch the question up because I mean, we're just going to reverse the, the first question for you or the, the first idea for you and ask this, um, does living your best life, does it look like, you know, vacations every three weeks and driving your new Tesla or, you know, private jets, um, making any project you want to, or is some of the reality of your best life might not be all of that super freedom vacation um, thought, but there's maybe something more to give into the industry in this life of um, life fulfilling, life balance, uh, best life um, stage? Yeah, well, I mean, it, look, it, to a certain extent, it's a rhetorical question because the average person is going to say, I get it. It's not about me just being rich and being a consumer and, and spending everything on myself. But I would also say there is some of that because you can only, you can only give out of your own abundance, right? You, if, if you oh, wait, living, Joel, say that again, because that's such a great phrase. We're going to throw that up on, <laughs> on social media. You can only give out of your own abundance. Out of your own abundance. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, you can't give what you don't already have yourself. So to a certain extent, yes, I think there is, you have to ask the question, what is it that makes me whole and complete and uh, fills me up and makes me inspired so that I can then go and give that away to others. And that's when you start to create something larger or be part of something larger than yourself. Um, I'm thinking of this article I read years ago, the top regrets of the dying. Have you ever read this article? Uh, I have not read the article, but I can tell you as a minister doing many funerals, how interesting it is to hear people talk about the one who's passed away and to know very clearly how I want to live life so people don't say certain things or have something to say. Yeah. Wow. Well, this article, I guess it was a book or an article that a nurse that was a hospice nurse, I think in the UK, for years was asking people on their deathbed what their top regrets were. And she took all these notes and she collapsed it into this article. And you can just Google top regrets of the dying and read it. And when you read that, you realize that one of the top regrets is not, I wish I had spent more money on myself. Yeah. I wish I had consumed more. So I, I'm not dismissing that as, as that's not, that's not part of it, but it was more things like, I wish I hadn't cared what, so much what others thought of me. Um, one of them was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Now, I will caveat that with most of the people she's interviewing are people that were employees who worked yeah. their whole lives at companies and they really invested their lives in something that wasn't theirs. They, had, they gained no influence, no control, nothing to leverage. They just one day retired and then had nothing to live for and died shortly yeah. thereafter. And that would be a huge regret. Yeah. But I think that that's, um, I really love this. It's a crazy and some, somewhat morbid idea, but of asking the question, what are you going to think and feel as you approach the end of your life? And how can you not have regrets? Or as you like to say, how can you manage your regrets? Because we're all going to have some. How do you better manage your regrets? 
Yeah, there's, um, there's definitely moments that when I look back, I wish I would have done something different, said something different or not said something, um, <laughs> especially as a father. I hope my kids someday understand it and forgive me for some of the things that I should have said or, or wish I didn't say to them. Um, but it's hard to not be reactionary in certain moments. But the opportunities that life gives you to absorb in the data or absorb in the experience that there's extra to pass on to others, or as you say, the abundance to pass on to others. When you hold that back and you don't give that and pass that on and, and you don't uh, push that forward or, or pay it forward, um, the, the, um, the deficit the world experiences, the the down the downside of you not giving it away is so much harder that I think that those end of year moments that we have, we know we had more to give away. We have we know more people more people to touch, uh, more leverage we could have pushed forward, e even just more charity. You know, simply there are people in need, and the foolishness of where we put our our money or our time that we could have given to others. I think that um, it's a very strong motivator. Well, you reminded me of this example of a, a very dear friend of mine who for years owned and ran a, a, one of the top sound and music uh, companies in the country. And about 10 years ago, I remember him approaching me and saying, you know what, I'm going to start passing the baton next year, meaning I'm going to start passing ownership of my company to my team, which means grooming them and creating a whole system by which he could pass his business on. And he was going to retain a certain piece of it so that when he was in semi or mostly retired mode, yeah. still be generating some, some level of income, which makes total sense. Well, what was interesting was he went through this transition and I think it took him five or six years. He was incredibly patient, incredibly diligent, but he built, he, he, he nurtured and, and, uh, coached his, his team on how to run the business. This is the classic owner paradox, right? Of, of oh, nobody know, knows how to do it like I do. I, nobody could do it but me. Well, he fought back against that lie. He passed the baton. He went into semi-retirement. He would show up once a day, two days a week and compose and have fun, was still earning an income, living his best life. Within a few years, he contracted lung cancer, and a year later, he was gone. Oh. And the reason I tell that story is, one, he had a really strong sense, and I know it was incredibly meaningful to him that he was able to do that before he died. Sure. Because what a gift, right? What a legacy. And guess what? That, that business is actually better and stronger today than it ever has been before. Yeah. So he has created, I mean, you want to talk about a legacy. This guy's funeral was unbelievable Oof. because there were hundreds and hundreds of people showing up and saying, this guy got it. He invested in himself and his team, his community, everything. And guess what? The legacy that he built is still here with us. And in fact, it's stronger than ever. And it has a bright future. And it's in the hands of all these amazing, beautiful, creative entrepreneurs. And I just think that's such a bittersweet story, knowing that, yes, I wished he would have lived another 40 or 50 years, uh, but he didn't. And thank goodness he, he had that curator to collector mindset. Yeah. 
And he said, you know, it's not about me holding on to everything and having all the control that there's something bigger out there. You're helping me write this final chapter. I'm trying to get the last chapter written before the collector conference or the four stage conference we're doing in Moldova. And uh, I'm going to have to remember that example because it's a really good one. It fits kind of uh, right in the middle of the chapter that I'm writing right now. Um, and the thought process of what does it mean to be a collector? And the term I like to use a lot is leverage. Instead of this thought of investing, it's so kind of caught up with the mutual fund Wall Street idea, you know, uh, MSNBC or uh, CNBC kind of mechanism that's out there. We've right. skewed the thought of investing into the basic thought of getting a greater return than what you put into it. The idea that a business owner has something more than, than just the basics that they can leverage into a relationship or, or into the industry or to other people's growth. And I love that example because what he thought of early on is, is what he did have that if he put in the hands of others, it would be gain power, gain authority, gain strength, and then uh, in his case, create a legacy. Um, and what he passed on really was his relationship with clients from, from trying to own it all himself into giving it to the people in hands that they could trust. And that thought of trust and growth and maturity um, all plays out in such power, powerful ways. So um, well, if I'm I can remember be, that from my, uh, from my chapter here. Well, you can use this other example because there was a guy, I think you know him, who ran this company called Impossible Pictures who did not do that. And let's just say the legacy is very different. And yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's a regret I have to manage, right? Because I look at his example and I think, damn, if I had to do, to do it over again, I would have definitely gone down a path like that. Well, you, um, you bring up another idea or another idea of transition. And, and this might be a good um, place to wrap it up too, is that um, when, when living out this process, there are moments of, that we can make the choices, right? Um, so that's saying that the best time to plant an oak tree is 100 years ago. The second best time is today. The reality is like there's moments that we can make choices. And as those choices approach us in life, there are the time equation of how much impact we can have when making choices has to be brought into a decision process. Um, in your case, there's a thought of, you know, I could have done it better then, but then doing it now is, um, is a term I'll call like a rebirth. Like it's a reassessment and, and letting go of things, which you've admitted many times that that was very difficult and it took a long time. And there's a transition away from that but also knowing what you really had and what was valuable and what was important to others and knowing that you could do something with it. So that thought process, it's never too late, but the mechanism might be something different and that recreating yourself or um, leveraging what the best you have in that regret so that others don't regret it is a pretty amazing process and you have to be very vulnerable in it, um, but you're, you're doing it well. And I think that there's others that can learn in that mechanism from you. Well, look, I mean, I obviously I am, am very indebted to you because your guidance as my consultant in those <laughs> final years um, really laid the groundwork for this new story and chapter, but you're right. It's amazing how much, yes, I do have regrets, but I am fortunate in that I have been able to convert and leverage a lot of uh, what was there and and creating a really great story that I'm loving being a part of and playing the part I have to play 
so I think that may, maybe that is a good, maybe that's a part two to this riff thoughts yeah, sure. is, to, is to come back and say, all right, now let's, un, let's unpack that, that when your time comes and maybe one, cha the chapter you're in right now starts to, you get that sense that it's starting to wind down or the earth is moving under your feet because the, the earthquakes are coming. Uh, how do you begin to lay the groundwork so that you can convert, you can leverage? That would be a really good question. Yeah, and, and we've heard a lot of people's stories over our podcast, um, their kind of timeline and, and situations they got themselves in. A recent one with, with David was, um, I just loved his perspective of how he started Hush and then what the momentum was. And you could hear him, he doesn't say it this way, but expressing certain regrets or certain knowledge he has now that he didn't have then. Um, and that collection of podcasts that we have where you can hear people's stories at different stages is some of the, the input that we have in order to give this advice or to share and advise others as they progress through these stages. But the, this last stage that we're really getting people to embrace sooner than later so that they have leverage, they have um, influence going into, I don't know what we call it, later years, uh, more mature years, so that they have something to depend on and then give forward um, really is an important thing. So. We want uh, everyone to know that they're, that we're always collecting the stories. If you have something to share with us, we want to hear them. Any thoughts that you have on the ideas um, that we're sharing here, please feel free to post them in our Facebook group, send them to us. Please help me add things to this last chapter so I can uh, finish this crazy, silly book that uh, right. feels like it's taken me two and a half years to even make an outline for. But it's a, it's a great thing and a great moment to, to kind of give back and push forward. Um, and uh, I think this four-stage conference that we're doing in Eastern Europe is, is really going to be exciting. It's going to be the first time we have a very small group of business owners together processing through that core group of influencers we're looking to, um, to kind of acquire and, and give some permission to, to influence the, our, in our marketplace. So um, well, it's going to be exciting times up ahead. As usual, it's uh, here we go again, right? We have this vision, this sense of what's out there, and we're going to go create the future uh, together somehow. So I'm also very excited to see what it, what it becomes. I love that. I don't think I've told you this yet, but I, and maybe I did this on purpose, but it doesn't feel like that from my point of view. But you know that fourth stage conference is just three days after my 50th birthday. So <laughs> That's right. It's kind of a, a look back and it's kind of a birthday present to be able to get all this done and get out there and begin uh, sharing it forward. So it's pretty cool. You're going to be 50 years young, my friend. That's why I love it. I love it. Well, uh, thanks for uh, your rev thoughts. Yeah, likewise, Tim. Good, uh, good chatting with you. We'll see you on the next episode. Yeah, very good.